0: Listener emails, questions and observations on episode 312 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. So question and answer show, Shane.
1: Yeah, as usual, we've got a backlog of listener email to get through, and I think we probably have replied to all of the emails, uh, mostly you, (laughs) but uh, it's always fun to talk about it on the show and just have some uh, conversation or discussion around the emails. It was kind of funny because we
0: had a period of maybe five or six weeks there where it seemed like there was just every time I checked my inbox, there was a new email, there was a new email, there was new email. And then one day that just stopped. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had one day of uh being skunked, I guess. Uh, yeah for you know. <laughs> Yeah, it seemed to slow down again, which is which is
0: fine. It's just it's interesting how we'll get lots of emails and then it just sort of dries up for a while and then we'll get tons of emails again. I think it's just must be just like the regular cycle of life. Everybody's on their maybe spring, break, vacation. I don't know. Bam had a nice email there from uh, Levi. Not sure if you want to hop in and read this one. Shane's pretty good email there from sure. your
1: next door neighbor. Yeah, sure. Uh, So Levi says, hello, Chris and Shane. I'm writing you from central Alberta. Uh, The weather is starting to get better, which makes me very happy as I start to tackle the Messier list again. I recently had the wonderful opportunity to attend the open night at the Rothney Observatory in Calgary. Not sure if you gentlemen have ever been, but it was quite a treat. The night opened with some wonderful winter constellation speeches and then moved on to a free range of many telescopes owned by Calgary members of the RASC. By some miracle, I was able to convince my girlfriend to attend this time. Uh, This had been the first time in her life she was outside of Bortle 7 skies. The skies at the observatory are Bortle 4. She was amazed uh, that there were more than 10 stars in the sky. That was interesting to see, as I'm sure so many people think that way. We looked through a variety of amazing telescopes, such as the Celestron C14, which was at the Orion Nebula all night, as well as some relatively large refractors. Uh, The highlight was when we looked through a 10-inch daub pointed at the Andromeda galaxy. I was accustomed to the sight and thought the view was amazing. Uh, My girlfriend, on the other hand, asked if there was a smudge on the eyepiece when she looked. But the owner and I chuckled. Uh, It is amazing how people who have never looked through or never looked into a a telescope expect astrophotography views. I can imagine uh, that this can lead to newcomers being disappointed. Uh, anyway attached is a photo of their 1.8 meter reflector I couldn't believe how large it was uh the finder scope on the left is a C8 unfortunately there is too much snow on the dome so it was not in operation uh, I love the show keep up the great work clear skies Levi
0: thanks so much that was uh really appreciate the kind words there and the virtual tour of the Rothney have you ever been out to the Rothney Observatory there just outside of Calgary no I haven't have you I had the opportunity? He, he asked if we ever had the uh, opportunity to attend an open night there. I did have an opportunity that I did not seize. Oh, <laughs> I was in Calgary, went over for the GA a few years ago. I think it was maybe the year before the pandemic. Unfortunately, I decided to stay back in the pub with uh, Randall and Clark, who've been on the show before. I had driven like I don't know, eight or nine hours that day, and I was just like, "I'm not up for a bus ride." And and it wasn't a very nice night. It was although it was in the summer, it was a very cold night. I don't think I brought warm clothes with me, and then I was just bagged from the long drive. I had eaten lunch in the pub, and then I was I was going to go, and then Clark and Randall came meandering in, and I was like, "I'm not going. I'm I'm staying here. These guys need to eat dinner, and I'm happy to sit here and ha- have a nice meal with them." and get reacquainted after so many years apart. So it's always always fun to catch up with the old buddies. But I would love to get over there and see this. The photos look fantastic.
1: Yeah, it looks like a really, really nice observatory. Uh, there was a number of photos posted on Twitter from some of the uh, Calgary member accounts. Yeah, it looks like it was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and our friend Eric, he's over there as well. Got to have him on the show here in the uh, next month or so, I think, talking about some sketching and observing. He's doing right now. I hope he's getting some clear skies. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Now the listener, Adam wrote, if I can read this one. Yeah, go for it. Hello. I've dabbled in amateur astronomy for years off and on, but recently have gotten back into the hobby. I decided to purchase a used Celestron Omni XLT AZ-102. It's my first decent scope and I have yet to take it out under the sky due to timing and weather. However, the scope comes with a 90 degree image erecting prism. It has a Capacity for two inch optics. And my question I'm going to put this question to Shane. Does it make sense to purchase a two inch diagonal or mirror diagonal if I only have 1.25 inch eyepieces? I'm not really in the market to move to two inch eyepieces yet, but does a two inch diagonal provide better views than a 1.25 inch diagonal when using 1.25 inch eyepiece? Thanks for your time. I've been enjoying the podcast. Just last month, stumbled upon them and have started listening from the beginning, currently on episode 51. Take care, Adam.
1: Maybe to answer the first question, using one and a quarter inch eyepieces in a two inch diagonal will not give you any visual enhancement uh, You know, over a one and a quarter inch diagonal. The only benefit to having the two inch diagonal is that if you ever decide to get two inch eyepieces, you've already got the diagonal. Um, but one thing I always mention whenever we talk about, you know, this type of a topic is, is you're also adding some weight back there too. So if you don't think you'll ever go to two inch eyepieces, you might as well just stick with the inch and a quarter diagonal. It's lighter, it'll cost less money and it'll serve you very well. That's how I would answer that one. What would you say, Chris?
0: Yeah, I think the one a quarter inch would, would be fine until you decide to upgrade to two inches. In my reply to Adam, what I said was that I would recommend going for the two inch diagonal because the difference in price isn't very much, at least, you know, it's a few dollars, and I know every dollar counts these days to folks, so I'm not uh, discrediting that. But the difference in price, I think, was less than $50 in actual bucks because the shipping is going to be the same, et cetera. I think that going to like a two inch diagonal would allow him to eventually upgrade. I think the AZ 102 is a nice, potentially really great wide field scope for two inch eyepieces. So my recommendation might be to go to that two-inch diagonal right off the hop, and then you don't have to worry about doing the upgrade at a future point in time. But anyway, that's just my two cents. Either way, it's not really going to matter that much. You get the good one a quarter-inch diagonal for now, and then uh, if you do want to go to the two-inch eyepieces later on, you can. But some people, Shane, I know you're one of those folks who can observe happily with the really good one a quarter-inch eyepieces that you have.
1: Yeah, I'm quite content with one and a quarters. Uh, I have three or four two inch eyepieces, but they rarely come out of the case anymore. Uh, Although if I ever want the widest field of view possible, that's the reason to have two inch eyepieces. But uh, for the most part, I, you know, i like I say, probably 90, 95% of my observing is with inch and a quarter. And I'm, I'm very content with those. Excellent.
0: Had a question from Phil. Maybe uh I'll put this question to you, Shane, and you can answer it while I tease something up here. So, Phil had a question about how many people observe galaxies with small telescopes and do we think people believe that you can see galaxies in small telescopes?
1: Um, well, certainly you can see them. Now, you know, galaxies really do benefit from aperture, so the larger the telescope, the more or or the brighter the galaxies will appear and the more detail you might be able to see within the galaxies. But, you know, as a, as a astronomer who's had telescopes from, you know, my, guess my smallest one is the 25 millimeter Borg, but that doesn't really count. Uh, But, you know, I've had 12 inch telescopes. I've looked through larger ones than that. And, you know, I would say, and and there's probably going to be some galaxy hunters that, you know, send, send me angry emails after this, but I would say that for the most part once you get past like some brighter galaxies uh, I don't know how many that would be maybe 15 to 20 you really need some big aperture to start seeing a lot of detail there so to me you know having a small telescope to observe galaxies uh, isn't isn't that bad at all in fact I I do look at them through my telescopes but aperture helps uh, for sure and and we did talk about um, Jay Reynolds Freeman's uh, article, I don't know, a few episodes ago, Chris, I think we we referenced it quickly that he observed the Herschel 400 with a 55 millimeter telescope. So it's certainly possible, maybe a little more challenging, but it's definitely doable. What is the faintest thing
0: that you've seen in your small telescope, Shane, if, as far as like your 76 or any of the really small telescopes you've had, what, what have you seen that's really faint?
1: Uh, I would have to look at some of my double star records, but certainly I've, I've seen some companion stars that would be pushing the limits of the 76. What what about you? I've seen some pretty faint
0: stuff. I love looking at those huge extended nebulae, like mm-hmm. the uh, Barnard's Loop and Angelfish Nebula at the head of Orion using filters, and even like the 50 millimeter telescope you you made up for me so you can see a lot of faint stuff with these small scopes
1: yeah definitely
0: phil also sent us an observing report shane i'm going to try to play this we'll see if it works
1: okay
2: observing report observing report observing report observing report two nights ago i was observing with my st80 going over the messier list again I observed uh, yesterday evening the sunflower galaxy, M63, in Canis Venatici, or Venati- Ven- Venatici. I prefer Venatici than Venatici, really. The designation M63, M63 the sunflower, wasn't discovered by Messier. It was discovered by Meshain in 1779, I believe, um, 35 million years light years away. Obviously, the end of the Big Dipper, or Ursa Major, uh, Alcade, Cor Corollae About midway between those two is where the Sunflower Galaxy is. Now, looking at a little star chart, there's almost an arrow. One side of the triangle, it's got three stars, and the others, it's, it's just one each. So think of a triangle on one side of it, it's got another star in the middle. Very obvious to see, rather large actually as well basically points right m63 as you know this galaxy it's a it's a spiral galaxy i observed this for about an hour initially i started off with the 42 millimeter which is through averted vision i could see m63 at 13x with my st80 i then went to the 30 millimeter gives me like 20 something and then the 15 millimeter ultra wide which was by far the best view. That blew it up quite a, a reasonable amount. that was 26X was the best view, and then I popped in the Barlow, which gave me just over 50 power. It was quite dim, honestly. So I actually backed off back to 26 power, which was the 15mm ultra-wide, 80 degree. <laughs> Again, I looked at this for around about an hour. Uh, and the more dark adapted I got... The more that I saw. Now, I didn't see spiral arms and dark lanes and that kind of thing as much as I wished I had. Having said that I haven't seen all that kind of detail, what I most definitely could tell about it is the nucleus and the mottled, textured diffusion of light. In an in an elliptical shape. There's a star very close to it, which is very very bright indeed. And it's just one of those things that you just think to yourself, ah, well. Again, people say, well, you can't see that with an 80 millimeter telescope. Well, cheers, guys. Clear skies. Clear skies and a cheese slice.
0: All right, Ryan sent us a, an email there as well. Do you want to take a gander at reading that?
1: Sure. Hi, Chris and Shane. Thanks for reading my email on the show today. Uh, After doing some research on cloudy nights, I actually ended up doing exactly what you said by adding spacers on the dovetail as well as counterweights on the tube rings. Now I have clearance between the dovetail and focuser and with the counterweights, I don't have to mount or I don't have the mount attached quite so close to the focuser end of the telescope uh, the balance has been great. I have a William Optics one and a quarter inch diagonal and the heaviest eyepiece I use is a 24 millimeter Teleview Pan Optic. I really appreciate Chris's advice on sticking with the TS Optics mount. You're exactly right. Uh, I use the AT72 as a grab and go travel scope and the lightweight mount is great for those purposes. Thanks again for the advice. Clear skies, Ryan.
0: It looks more like a setup you would have created though, Shane. I, I think any advice that I gave was... From what I saw with your setup.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Um, which uh, which setup is that? I uh,
0: I think at one point in time you had one of those sets of little counterweight balance bars, and see how he has that uh, attached oh, to his
1: attached ring. to the rings there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And then yeah. the stand the standoffs—they're like a riser onto his plate. That's something that I've toyed with doing as well. He's he's actually gone and done it with his uh, seventy-two. It looks pretty sharp, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It looks like it's uh, really well done and sounds like it's quite functional. So well done there.
0: Yeah. It gives him some space between the dovetail plate and his tube rings so that he has space for his focus knobs without getting into like weird positions with his focuser. So that's well done. I wonder if there's a way to take those counterweight balance bits that look like bearings or something and put them on the other side of the uh, dovetail bar. I feel like that might give him a a bit better balance in, in the scope setup. But other than that, I think it looks awesome.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Attaching them to the dovetail keeps the weight closer to center mass, which probably is just a little bit better overall. But you know, if this is working, I'm sure, I'm sure this is fine too.
0: Yeah, it's hard to tell. I've never used that scope before and, and that exact setup. I just always am like, is this now pushing the the weight out too far? But maybe it's fine. It looks really, really nice though. Excellent mm-hmm. work there. Alejandro in Florida sent us a nice email here. Really great to get some feedback from somebody in under warmer weather these days. He writes, hi there. I found your podcast a few months ago and I am hooked. I live in South Florida, west of Fort Lauderdale. I've been interested in space and astronomy since I was a kid, but never really did something about it until the pandemic. Comet Neowise brought the spark back, which I'm so grateful for. I got a pair of seven by 50 binoculars to try to find the comet. I didn't see it, but I got the bug big time. I joined my local astronomy club and I've been at it ever since. I learned to navigate the night sky using those seven x 50 binos and a stargazing app. I downloaded to my phone and he used that to learn the constellations, star hopping, et cetera. Then one day I saw a $10 telescope for sale online, a Celestron Power Seeker 70AZ. Simple enough to get me started, but it was missing some parts like a star diagonal, eyepieces, et cetera. I posted my purchase on a Facebook group And a seasoned observer from Virginia sent me a homemade star diagonal and an eyepiece, which was really awesome. Recently, he paid uh, that forward by sending that person a set of old binoculars that he could turn into eyepieces and diagonals for other beginners. The scope really showed me and my family, wife and kids, the bands of Jupiter and the rings of Saturn. And it was a real wow moment for us. Later in 2020, I got a a one sky Dobsonian reflector, which is a five inch scope. It was a very nice upgrade to the 70 millimeter refractor, and this new scope showed even more deep sky objects, planets, and our moon, and I even got started in planetary photography with my phone. In 2022, he took hiatus, but this past September, he said, I took my travel scope, the Sar Blue Max 60 family holiday trip. I took my 15 by 70 binoculars too, and reconnected with the night sky under brutal four skies.
1: A couple weeks ago, I upgraded again and got an eight inch Dubsonian and Naptura 88. Uh, What an instrument. Uh, I've been having a blast with it. The same day I got it, I took to my astronomy club. The, The observatory is open to the public on Saturday nights and set it up there to look at the moon. Full disk, what a beautiful sight. Every single person that peeked through the eyepiece went wow. They would also ask questions and chat. Towards the end of the night, a couple approached me as I was starting to break down. They insisted I show them something. Being a dob, it is easy to set up and break down. I showed them the moon. They were amazed and said, thank you a gazillion times. They also said, you made our week. Uh, they were on their honeymoon. A couple nights later, I got a chance to look at Mars with the eight inch and a five millimeter eyepiece uh, that I purchased for planetary observing. It's an astromania, 58 degree. Beautiful. I was able to see dark features on the surface. I even took a look at the extreme uh, or sorry i even took it to the extreme and put a 2 times barlow lens for a whopping 480 times magnification i reached focus and the planet was the biggest i'd ever seen it through the eyepiece uh this past weekend i had an observing session with my dad on friday Who came to visit and check out the new telescope and an observing session by myself on Saturday. Uh, The time with my dad was awesome. I showed him Venus, Mars, and a few open clusters. He wanted to look at the moon too. Uh, The night was clear, so we saw everything we wanted to see. After my dad left, I kept at it. I saw M41, 35, 36, and 37. I split Castor, uh, which I hadn't done before, and observed the Beehive cluster and M67. The following night, I went to the backyard by myself and what a treat. I observed the beehive cluster again and the stars in Leo. I found out that El El-Jabai is a double star, the same as Polaris, uh, which I observed later that night and found out it has a tiny companion that I hadn't seen before. But the highlight of the night was NGC 3242, a planetary nebula known as the ghost of Jupiter. I went hunting for it for a good 10 minutes. Uh, When I found it, it was very rewarding. I kept looking at it, swapping eyepieces. I saw a bluish greenish round object, small in the field of view. I snapped a picture with my phone and I couldn't believe I was looking at a dying star uh, located very, very far away from us, uh, from my backyard and through my own telescope. Furthermore, I couldn't believe I was able to capture it with my phone. Thanks for the great content. Uh, The podcast is really helpful and entertaining. Clear skies, Alejandro.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for that. And he sent along some images of that planetary nebula, NGC 3242, sent an image of the moon, the comet ZTF and Jupiter and the Galilean moons. It's just really nice to, to get such a such a great email from somebody. And I sort of was living vicariously through him in Florida when I read that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I wished I was getting that much observing done.
0: We've been talking to Tyler a little bit about his uh, 76 DCU And he had a question there, Shane, in one of the emails, maybe I'll just hop forward and kind of put it to you is what are your thoughts about a set of three to four high quality eyepieces slash Barlow's to optimize observing with his new 76 millimeter telescope on the majority of nights, Uh, kind of putting out a budget of somewhere between three and say $500. What might you recommend for somebody who's Bought a new telescope and looking to get some high-quality eyepieces just to really get started. Where would you send somebody?
1: Um, well, three to five hundred dollars per eyepiece is a really strong budget. You you know, you certainly can uh, fit a lot of really good quality glass into, into that amount. I can't remember exactly what I said in the email response. So this might vary a little bit. If you're going with a two inch eyepiece and you're looking at wide field, probably two are in the category that I would, I would throw out there. One would be the Pentax XWs, um, you know, either the 30 or the 40 millimeter. And then the other one is the, uh, the APM 30 millimeter UFF or ultra flat Field. They're all great eyepieces. Uh, They're all, you know, good eye relief. You can't go wrong with any of those. But the way I usually use my 76 DCU is with the 24 millimeter panoptic as the wide field eyepiece. And then what I recommended was buying a Leica Aspheric Zoom. Now that exceeds the budget, you know, by probably almost doubles. I think they're around $1,000. But when you consider that that eyepiece is really, a whole eyepiece case all in one, you know, I think you're, you're still ahead of the game and you're getting a wonderful eyepiece that has great eye relief, relatively wide fields of view and covers your focal range from something like around 18 millimeter down to nine. It's just a wonderful piece of glass. The other thing I would add to that is just a Barlow then, and you could get the new TMB 1.8 times Barlow or like a Bader VIP two times Barlow. I I own both of those and I can you know yeah. confirm that they're excellent. Uh, you have the Nikon one point six Chris and and you speak quite highly of it. So that's another one that could fit here. But um you know a twenty four millimeter panoptic the Leica zoom and a Barlow would be an ideal kit. And then if you really wanted in that two inch space you know again the the Pentax XW or the the APM UFF. So.
0: I made a slightly different recommendation. I think getting like a 40 millimeter Pentax XW for that eyepiece is a match in heaven because I think it's around F7.5 focal ratio, which the, the 40 millimeter is going to play really well with. And that's going to give you your absolutely wide field view with that instrument for uh, finding things. In fact, with that eyepiece, you will not even need a finder scope at all whatsoever with that telescope. I know that because that's how I use my 40 millimeter with my small scopes. And then as well, um, he had mentioned that he doesn't wear glasses, just one that's reasonably comfortable eye relief, went a little bit of different direction, and he could get a whole pile of the, like the Astronomics 100-degree eyepieces from the Astronomics website, who's the sponsor of cloudy Nights. I thought, hmm, I might be interested just to try some of those out, maybe get one or two of those and and try them out in conjunction with the with the Pentax. And then he'd have sort of a an interesting introduction to the 100-degree fields of view that uh, those eyepieces could provide. Anyway, that was just sort of my two cents. I thought yours made a lot better sense than than my advice did now that I heard you say it.
1: <laughs> well, you know, the 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 thing too here is again with that budget I don't think he's got, you know, any bad choices in front of him no. and and whatever he settles on, he, you know, he's going to have a really nice setup there. All right. Anything else to add to this episode? No, that's everything for me, Chris.
0: Well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. If you want to support us, there are two main ways you can send us financial support via Patreon. And as well, we appreciate you sharing our show within the orbit of your own astronomical community. Please send along your observations and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com.
1: Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast,